The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Happy Wednesday to you folks. Welcome to The Crude Life. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host here at The Crude Life Podcast. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern provolone is manning our production element of the program and is patiently, patiently waiting to speak because since he joined the program, Day one here on the podcast, because really, Provolone is the podcast pro. He's our expert. So when it comes to hierarchy, even though I'm the owner of the company and the host of the show, I, I report to him on that. Now, we can have other meetings about other things, but you know, I, I told him, hey, you're in charge of the podcast. So Provolone, our entitled intern. Now, some of you might be asking, entitled intern? What's that mean? Well, if you're joining us here for the first time, on the Crude Life Podcast. Thank you, first of all. Secondly, Provolone's parents, Provolone, by the way, is his nickname. Provolone's parents own a modest oil and gas company, and they phoned me one day on the handheld communication device. That's a computer. And they said, uh, Jason, wonder if you could do us a favor. Our son has been a bit of a challenge. He's got a lot of talent, but man... Uh, ADHD and uh, genius don't don't explain what's going on there. Uh, he's they sent him to the university, where in their words he has been majoring in entitlement. So apparently that's what they're teaching at the university these days, and I've heard that more than just once. So, Papa OGC, Mama OGC, we took on Provolone as our intern. And we've allowed his uh, genius to thrive. But part of the learning process is we decided to do an old school hazing with Provolone where you just, you know, you don't get to speak the first day. And part of it was so you learn the show's format, you learn the buttons, you, you know, you just, so you don't have to worry about speaking because speaking on a performance or a podcast or a radio program, it's a lot easier said than done. It is, I mean, you talk to anybody who's done an interview, and they'll tell you that was nothing like it they thought it was. So this way, it just takes that away from it. But this little provolone, good, fun man, uh, he just seems to get himself suspended every single day. And now we've just turned it, for me, it's a game. I mean, I, I probably have a little bit more of a microscope on there. And, uh, you know, we just another day, another thing. It's going to get to a point where it's going to be such a bit that you're not even, you know, I won't even let you speak just because, you know, for the week it'll be like, nope, it's a bit now. Sorry, Provolone. Probably be Christmas by the time you finally get to speak. I mean, you know what? I talked to you, by the way, Papa OGC. And they, you know what they told me? That they, they think that they were, they first made their mistake was when they sent you to a very progressive preschool where the students taught the teachers. Now I know why you like to give me directions instead of asking me questions. And I also know why you like to start every sentence with, I feel, instead of 
talking about whether you know you, you'd rather have a ham sandwich or a tuna sandwich. You, I, I don't care how you feel about it. I mean, I do. I mean, I'm not trying to be crash. I just I didn't realize we were having such an emotional discussion in in the lunchroom at the workplace. So yeah, we it's just you know part of it. I think that your 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 mom and your dad are just. I'm part of their entertainment. I mean, I think I think I'm the provolone here. All right, what do we got going on today? Joe Dancy. Oh yes, Joe Dancy, one of our favorites here, energy educator and expert. You know, he's part of the 25K. He's 25K. That's 25,000 followers or friends at least on LinkedIn or Facebook. And I believe he's got like 38, 36, 35, 34. Look at me going down because I'm not sure. I know. I think he's got a 35. I'll, I'll ask him. But um, he's. Uh, we're going to talk about whether the public health debate or energy debate is going on. I believe, this is my contention, and I'm going to ask Joe Dancy. I, I believe that the industry and the activists are having two different wars, if you will. The activists are having a emotional public health debate, whereas the industry is having a fact-based, science-based energy debate. So I believe that the emotional debate is gaining more ground than the science factual base. I mean, have you ever seen when you give a scientific study to somebody, it's look, they look like you hand them a, a diaper full of Indian food. It's the look on their face is like, what is this science? Forget it. No, I let's save the tree. Okay, who else do we got on today's program? Dan Haley is going to end the program with our daily update within the podcast here. And we've got the Bakken Barbecue phone lines. So we've got Joe Dancy ready on the Bakken Barbecue phone lines. We're going to actually bring him in a little early. Him and I get a little long-winded. So I can tell you right now, this is going to be more than a 30-minute podcast today. On this daily 30-minute podcast, and daily means Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday, and 30 minutes means, eh, might be 44 minutes, might be 50 minutes, might be, might be 28 minutes, apparently. So there you go. Uh, Joe Dancy, I know him and I get a little long-winded, but I'm going to ask him the public health. I'm going to ask him a little bit about social media, too. Uh, I've been seeing more and more posts about people uh, expressing their concerns about slow pay, and uh, contract reinterpretations. And they're posting on social media, kind of airing some dirty laundry, if you will. And I've seen it over the past year, but I've increased over the past several months. So I'm going to ask Joe Dancy about that as well, since he's so active on social media and part of the 25K Club that uh, he might have a few. And he's, and he's an attorney, too. So, I mean, the legal part of it, that's why I actually brought it up to him or want to bring it up to him is because he's an attorney and this way we can find out from a legal aspect you know you start posting on social media that company xyz broke this contract and owes you this amount of money i mean it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that somebody's going to get upset so we're going to discuss that let's see we are here in our hatch coaching studios and if you'd like to email the program, jason at thecrudelife.com, that'd be great. We appreciate it very much. And by the way, thank you to everybody who's emailed the program and everybody who's listening and sending out uh, different links and liking our social media pages. Thank you, by the way, for everybody liking our social media pages. You know, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on YouTube, 
And we, of course, run all this, the podcast platforms as well. But those are the ones that we mainly mainly kind of circulate through. You know, Facebook, we've got all kinds of different pages. Like, you know, Bakken, we've got a Bakken page that's got 60,000 followers. We've got a Marcellus page that has 45,000 followers. We've got a Permian Basin one and an um, Eagleford one. The, the two of them have like 80,000 followers. So if you go to the crudelife.com, just click on our social media page. We have all the links right there of all the different shale plays that uh, we have social media presence in, and we'd appreciate that very much. So are we going to get to headlines? Because I am, I, I try to keep, I know we don't have a show clock because this is a podcast, but I come from the radio world where I constantly am looking at the clock and I want to keep things under a certain amount because I also believe that the average listener does not want to hear me ramble for more than several minutes at a time. I don't even think they want to hear me for a second at a time, but apparently by the emails and our social media numbers and our radio stations that keep wanting our programs, people want to hear what I have to say and what my guests have to say. But I think they want to hear my guests more than they want to hear me as I continue to ramble Provolone. See, this is why you got to throw up a flag when you can't speak. If you spoke, this program would be probably five seconds longer because that's probably all the time I'd let you speak. All right. There. How's that for you? Can we mention today's sponsor, by the way? Because I'd like to do that. And then can we do headlines? I, I know that you're trying to keep your notes going and everything and you don't want to do a show clock and you don't want to do a content calendar because it's a podcast, baby. We got to we, we got to do what podcasters do. Well, you know what? This is esoteric energy here, and we just wing it. We throw the, we, we're going to throw the notes out. We're organic, 100% natural, baby. So esoteric energy here. We're going to do a sponsor because not only do we need to keep the lights on, we need to tell people how the lights get turned on because there's a little bit of a problem going on where people don't remember how the light people think energy comes from the circuit breaker and the light switch that's what's going on in today's world today so we need to mention a sponsor because we do every day okay provolone this is a meeting because i don't want to have this meeting with you later this is us mentioning a sponsor because we're very grateful and then we're going to do headlines after that okay I, I know that's different from your notes but I'm pulling out the boss card here over your podcast card. Okay, thank you very much, folks. I appreciate you listening to that uh, impromptu meeting here at The Crude Life because, as I mentioned, this is esoteric energy here. We're healing the masses, the millions and millions, the masses here. We're healing everybody with esoteric energy. We spread and generate positive energy here. And today's sponsor, Royal Creek Consulting. Royal Creek Consulting services the oil and gas industry and provides business development services for service and supply companies. They are currently working in Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. For more information, visit RoyalCreekConsulting.com. That's RoyalCreekConsulting.com. Of course, our sponsors are also available at thecrudelife.com. All of the links and logos are available at thecrudelife.com. All right, coming up next, we are going to do headlines here at The Crude Life.
Provolone, let's see what you got today. And by the way, we are going to bring in Joe Dancy for the third headline. Is that correct? Okay, great. So Joe Dancy patiently waiting on our Bakken barbecue phone lines. And we are sitting here in our Hatch Coaching Studios about ready to do headlines. And our first headline today comes in IEA colon. The pressure is on for oil and gas companies to change. Whatever path the world follows in its efforts to limit the rise in global temperatures, intensifying climate impacts will increase the pressure on all industries to find solutions. While some oil and gas companies have taken steps to support efforts to combat climate change, the industry as a whole could play a much more significant role through its engineering capabilities, financial resources, and project management expertise, according to the International Energy Agency, Oil and Gas Industry and Energy Transitions Report. So, you know, I agree with this. The, the language is a little bit over the top. Uh, by the way, this is from Maritime Executive. So Maritime, by the way, Maritime as in oceans and, and bodies of water. So what we're talking about here is some very intense language in the beginning, you know, intensifying climate impacts, rise in global temperatures. Uh, to me, that is no different than Al Gore. That is no different than Y2K. That is no different than the uh, extreme sensational language. We used to call it yellow journalism back in college. But it, it's an extreme language that's accepted. It, it, it's accepted. And so when, when this type of sensationalism is accepted, uh, the media can then put out stories like this, and then the person who's reading it is trained, trained by society that the media, hey, if it's on TV, it's not, it's not a lie. If it's in the newspaper, it's not a lie. If it's on the Crude Life podcast, it's the truth. And that's with two O's. So the other thing I see on this is that they're really trying to kind of strong arm very lightly the energy industry into taking on this renewable role. And the energy industry has been doing it for 150 years all by itself, long before the Sierra Club came around in the Colorado Risings of the World and the other energy activisms, the Greta Thunbergs and everyone else. If you go back to when Abraham Lincoln was in the White House, humans were using basically hay and wood to burn. So you then fast forward to today, where the bulk of our energy is coming from or is going to come from natural gas. So you go from hay to uh, wood to actually probably got to throw whale in there too. So not many carbons in there, but it's not very nice to the whales. Coal, uh, oil, crude oil, and then natural gas. Natural gas has only got one hydrocarbon. So when you look at the evolution that humans and industry, really, because the energy industry has always been very proactive. They're also reactive, and they have a herd mentality, but they're very proactive because it saves lives. And they know that the people that work, they go to church together, they go to the cafes together, they go to uh, gumbo parties together. So they're proactive because it saves lives. They're proactive because it saves money too. So it's, it's really a, the, the proactiveness for the energy industry is in their best interest is what I'm getting at. Um, getting back to my point here, I know it's tough to follow sometimes. Esoteric energy sometimes is a little tough to follow even for the host. 
That's why provolone, you gotta, you, you gotta whip me sometimes or throw something at me. I have all of those foam oil drops and oil rubber cans and all kinds of things from conferences that my son collects and puts in the uh, um, trampoline to do popcorn. You know, we, I mean, we've got a hundred of those things and he jumps out there with his friends and those little oil drops just look like popcorn out there. But throw one of those at me when I just start my rambles, okay? Because it happens, Dan, it happens. Getting back to my point though, which I will sum up very easily. The energy industry has been decarbonizing for over 150 years on its own ahead of the rest of society, long before the Sierra Club came around, okay? This is not a political statement. This is a factual statement because that's what we like to do here at The Crude Life. Okay, how'd you like that one, Provolone? There, I bet you didn't see that coming on. The pressure is on for oil and gas companies to change. That headline, by the way, is available at thecrudelife.com. On our show page, we have links of all of our headlines, so you can go read the whole story. But the way we do it here, the way headlines is, is we just read the headline and the first couple paragraphs and make, make our judgment move on because that's really what everybody else does. So we're just just trying to keep we're trying to adapt with the way the rest of society reads the news so that we can arm ourselves for 2020 because our motto is ready for anything excellent okay next we have you can use colorado's new search tool to see the oil and gas flow lines under your neighborhood it's a system that's been pushed for by Erin Martinez since she was injured when her Firestone home exploded in 2007, killing her husband and brother. Well, that's all I need to read right there. I don't really need to go much more to figure out what the narrative and what the push is behind this story. So now, just to give you an idea, ready for anything, this is a, good, this is a fantastic, fantastic headline, by the way, Provolone. And the reason it's a fantastic find and a fantastic uh, awareness piece is because it's another tool that the activists and the environmentalists are going to use. Now they can use this tool to find their protest of the day. The Keystone Pipeline in, in North Dakota taught me that. That after the Keystone Pipeline in North Dakota happened, which was, I was on the BBC, I was interviewed by the BBC during the Keystone Pipeline. So I was very boots on the ground there. And I was the most trusted voice in the state of North Dakota that the BBC world had me on their program. You should find that provolone. I'm serious. It's, it's, I'm not, I, I, every now and then you do have to toot your own horn and you have to let people know that, hey, I'm being a little serious here. But since that Keystone XL Pipeline protest, I tell you, it, it seems like the other ones really have been much more uh, frequent and the template is very similar to what I saw with the Bakken Keystone XL Pipeline, Standing Rock. Okay, so that's uh, go to our website, thecrudelife.com, and you can click on and check out the other headlines. I do want to reset real quick before we do our third headline, but we're going to bring in Joe Dancy energy educator and expert. He's such a friend of the program that, you know, why not bring him in on the headlines and have some fun, see if he wants to uh, comment a little bit on the next headline. Our phone lines, of course, our Bakken barbecue phone lines. That's where Joe Dance is patiently waiting. And we are sitting here in our Hatch Coaching Studios. And once again, email jason at thecrudelife.com if you have any questions, concerns, or comments. Also, if you have any show ideas or you'd like to be a guest or if you'd like to sponsor the program 
Absolutely. And our sponsor today, did you like that segue to our sponsor? Because I sure did. And I sure hope our sponsor, Royal Creek Consulting, did as well. Royal Creek Consulting services the oil and gas industry and provide business development services for service and supply companies. Royal Creek Consulting is currently working in Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. For more information, visit RoyalCreekConsulting.com. That's RoyalCreekConsulting.com. Excellent. Thanks for joining us here, Provolone. Appreciate you patching him through, Mr. Joe Dancy. And I uh, wanted to bring you in here a little bit early before our interview because I wanted to see if you had a second or two to go over some headlines. Uh, just the last one we have here where we can... Uh, get your input on what's going on up in the state of Alaska, but also it's a, a bigger problem, w w which is going on. And let me get to it in just a second here. So the headline reads, see, what we do on the on the Crude Life podcast is we like to uh, do headlines, but we read the headlines like the average person where we just read the headline and then two paragraphs and make make a, a judgment about the facts of it and move on. We don't read anymore. We just read the first two paragraphs and move on. <laughs> That's the way the, the average person reads today. So um, the headline is petitions in favor of raising oil and oil taxes submitted. And this has been one we've been kind of following a little bit. Uh, supporters of a voter initiative to raise oil taxes on the large slope oil fields turned in 44,624 signatures on petitions to Lieutenant Governor Kevin Meyer's office January 17th. Uh, it's Anyway, the next paragraph goes on to talk about how it's more than what they needed, but it's in Alaska. And this is interesting, um, and I, I, I want to get your perspective on this. On one hand, you've got uh, states and political parties and activists putting more taxes towards oil and gas on the ballot. This is happening in many states. And then on the other hand, you got essentially the same individuals trying to ban the industry. I think it's just, it's, it's amazing time we live in. So, uh, you got any comments on kind of what's going on there with the, uh, movement to tax the industry more and, uh, you know, ban them in certain counties and restrictions and everything like that. Well, that's not unusual. Actually, I think, uh, somebody sent me a note, uh, in, of course, in Colorado, we've had that uh, movement for quite some time in New Mexico. Someone told me Michigan, uh, you know, somebody's raising it on the on the ballot up there. We're trying to. Uh, one of the things in Alaska that I, I will I will relay a couple things I know about. I haven't I don't keep track of their state budget, Jason, but I do know um, the state universities up there are in a world of hurt financially. Now, how they got there, I mean, there's a lot of universities that are in a world that hurt financially, but how they got there, I, you know, I'm not sure, but there's a, a real concern and viability with regard to, you know, some of their sports programs and some of their programs that they might have to cut back. And actually, this happened in North Dakota a few years ago, too, as I recall. I mean, it's been a, several years. A part of the deal is, is just like North Dakota, Alaska is, you know, they're heavy in the oil revenues. And when you have oil prices you know, below where you think they're going to be. And, you know, let's be, let's face it, it's, they're a lot more robust oil prices than they have been. But 
it's nothing like the 80 or 90 or $100 a barrel oil we saw a few years ago. So if you do your budgeting based on, you know, $75 a barrel oil and it comes in at 60 or 55 average, and, and actually I think I just saw or I read, I think Mexico actually has hedges its future oil production. And for this year, I think they hedged, I'm going to say it was around $50. So I thought that was awful low. But then again, they know they're going to get it. They, um, so so Alaska, you know, wanting to raise, it is sort of interesting. Because um, as you know, when you tax things more, you get less of them. And so you, you start throwing taxes at the energy sector, you probably get, you know, it makes the economics look less attractive. So you have less completions, less drilling. And the other big thing, and I didn't realize this, God, it's been several years ago, with the, the major pipeline that comes down, you know, apparently as that field depletes up there, the the pace of that oil slows significantly. So when you get into January like you get now, you know, if that stuff ever freezes, you're going to have a popsicle that you're going to be, you know, a, um, I don't know how many hundreds of miles a long popsicle, but you won't be able to unfreeze it. I mean, it's pretty much uh, frozen solid. And I had not realized that. And this was a few years ago. They were concerned that, you know, before when you had the pumps running, everything stayed really warm because you were really jacking the uh, production through and the heat was maintained. But now it's gotten to be slow enough that, uh, or was several years ago, they were concerned that, gee, if we had a mechanical breakdown, you know, we would have this huge, you know, this huge, um, <laughs> Budsicle full of uh, crude oil that's stuck up there. So that's you know whether that's still an issue or not. I don't know, but I I assume it is because I don't I haven't heard of any you know major increase in the volumes going through that uh, the system up there. So it's uh, interesting. So those are my my thoughts on it. And, and, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to mention about this that I found interesting was uh, this is a a measure a voter initiative to go on the ballot, okay? And that part is, is rather interesting because uh, in Alaska, it's state-owned oil. That's why everybody gets a check, uh, a, what are the oil rebate check. A lot of people wonder, well, how come we can't do that? Well, it's set up differently. A lot of the state constitutions are set up certain ways, and you'd have to change all these different things. And so essentially the way the Alaska uh, system is set up, my understanding is, is that the state owns the oil, and then when there's a rebate check, that's why the Alaskans get that that check. But the the disadvantage of that is, is essentially there's just two companies that drill up there. And Vicki Steiner from uh, North Dakota, she was the president of the uh, Western Dakota Energy Association for a long time, uh, still very active, state legislator as well for a number of years. She spoke out there and she said it's very difficult to get anything done with the energy industry because it has to go through Congress. It has to go through the state legislature. And you know how that goes. I mean, it, it, it could take seven years to get one permit approved. So they basically only deal with two companies up in Alaska. So I find it interesting that the people who don't deal with the energy companies on a day-to-day -day basis are now saying we want more and let's go after oil and gas. I tell you, man, every time you turn around, it seems like they're the whipping boy. Yeah, that's really true. It's uh, whipping it's, post, uh, whipping post. Whipping sorry. Post, or, yeah, with the whipping boy. <laughs> I, I knew what you meant, but essentially the, uh, 
it is interesting and it's somewhat um, discouraging because oil and gas, you know, means so much to the country economically, and we have private mineral ownership, and it is um, it is interesting to see, and it's across the board, really. And the, I think what is resulting, uh, in my opinion, in the last five years, is you're seeing a lot of capital being reallocated to areas other than oil and gas. I mean, whether it's technology, whether it's medical, whether it's renewables. Now, whether there's renewables, you know, whether they're economic or not, it's, I, I got a big kick out of things, Jason. You hear the, the people saying, oh, yeah, wind power is less, you know, I actually I told my class this today, and I showed them statistics that some people, you know, say, oh, wind power, you know, we can generate electricity cheaper than natural gas, a natural gas plant, solar the same way. And then you tell them, well, what if we take off those tax credits? Like, oh, you can't do that or it'll bankrupt the industry. Well, you know, if you have a 30% tax credit on the federal level, you know, for essentially uh, um, right up front for renewables, and then you throw on the state of Texas or state of Oklahoma or state of Kansas um, additional tax credits, and then, you know, clearly you're, you can be economic if, if the government or the state government or federal government or local government, if they're paying for your project, um, Hell, it is, it's perfectly economic. I, the perfect example is I was just up in Upper Michigan last weekend. Actually, we're looking to maybe set up an energy center up there at the university with a bunch of professors. But I went up there, and at the high school, they installed in August a $25,000 uh, solar array to generate electricity. And it worked through about the end of December until it started snowing. They haven't generated any power for the first, like, 20 days of January. And, of course, you know, people are like, what's the economics must be terrible. Well, if somebody, a foundation paid for the uh, the installation and they, so the economics are, you know, you're making, you're real profitable and someone else pays to install it. You know, you get any power out at all. It's, you know, oh, man, it's 100% profit here. Except, it, but it, and it's a good, it is a good example for the, uh, high school students up there who are running apparently they're running some studies on it just to show you I mean it'll really indicate um, if you did have to put $25,000 up what type of you know real output you would have and it it, it will be completely it'd be very limited I think this month and next because it was they're totally snow covered the, uh, the panels <laughs> and they don't produce anything they don't produce anything and actually they have a the neat thing is they put a, you know, it's a public you know, high school, and uh, so they have a public site where you can go check daily what type of output they have. And the entire month of January so far, they have zero watts. Um, and in December, they actually had a few watts. And then, you know, August was, was actually pretty pretty impressive, although I, you know, I ran the numbers. And even, even if it was like August the entire year round, you're not, you know, you're not getting... You're not getting a super payout on uh, solar energy. The the killer up up there um, that's positive. It has some of the most expensive electricity anywhere in the United States outside of California. So it's easy to you know compete with. And the second thing is um, the system. It's such a rural area that the system goes down quite a few times. So a lot of people who, who live it's like probably you know North Dakota may have this issue, but 
um, you know, a lot of these small towns, the power goes out, you know, once or twice a week for a couple hours. And some people put in a, a backup generator. And so instead of a backup generator, they put on, they put in solar and some lithium batteries, but you know, the lithium batteries aren't cheap either. You're adding, you're adding substantial amounts just to keep your, your power on for a couple hours when everything goes out. So, but it is interesting to see. And like I say, the, uh, now whether that's where we ought to be allocating capital and technology or whether maybe we ought to be you know, designing better wind or better um, natural gas turbines and natural gas, you know, electrical grid systems. Um, you know, Lord knows I, I, we've talked about this before. I really do think even though natural gas is part of the, the target um, along with oil, I think natural gas, if we proceed correctly has a tremendous potential for both heating, electrical generation, you know, essentially manufacturing uh, facilities, et cetera. But the, you know, whether we can get there or not, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what these, what these, um, I, I tell you, and I, and I have to throw on the top of the Alaska, I heard, you know, Colorado apparently is going to try to, you know, the, the proposition that they threw out here a couple of years ago, they're going to try to get it back on the ballot. So, I mean, sooner or later, you know, sooner or later, well, you know, we'll you ta- yeah, know let's, it. let's talk more about that in a second. Cause there's, they've got six initiatives there. They're going around. Um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, natural gas and flaring and um, also some events that you have coming up. But uh, I got to take a quick pause here. Also uh, coming around the horn with Joe Dancy, our energy uh, educator and expert. We're going to talk a little social media where uh seen an increased amount in the last three, four months of people posting not the positive ones, but the negative posts on social media who owes who owes money and who's breaking contracts and heck who knows who's probably doing things to puppies and and everything like that too because it's it's getting kind of nasty out there in, in some parts of the world but we're gonna check with joe dancy energy educator he since he's involved with the law he might have an opinion or two we'll be right back here on the crude life podcast The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. We have Joe Dancy on our Bach and Barbecue phone lines here. Uh, Joe Dancy, thank you for wading through that uh, 45 seconds of sponsorships. Appreciate that very much, but we got to... You know, not only do we got to pay the bills, we got to inform people how the light switch turns on. That's going to be our motto going forward, I think. That's not I a like, bad thing. I, I like that. Well, and that brings up our kind of where I'm going with our one of our topics here, which is, you know, I've said this before that I think the energy industry is going through a period right now that the agriculture industry went through when grocery stores came about to where 
pretty soon city folks started realizing that uh, food came from the grocery store, not from the farms anymore, not from the slaughterhouses or the rendering plants or anything like that. And so I think that the light switch is the grocery store where people just assume that the, the circuit breaker and the light switch is where energy comes from. And in Colorado, they've got six petitions circulating around so that Colorado Rising can choose which one best suits uh, for the uh, upcoming election. Uh, Air, Alaska, we just mentioned in the last segment, is going to have a ballot uh, initiative on there to raise taxes against the energy industry. California, Oregon, Idaho also is going to have something on the ballot. Mentioned Michigan to where some of the cities, Fargo, Austin, uh, New, the state of New York. I mean, now that's just off the top of my head. That's without even doing a Google search for crying out loud. Point is, uh, the conversation is happening. The governments are getting involved and it's not going in the most favorable way for energy. So uh, I'm going to hand the baton over to you and let you d- just see which way you go with that loaded baton. That's not, I didn't even ask a question in there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I, I know a number of uh, companies and people with companies in Colorado, and even though the last um, petition or last, um, uh, oh, geez, suggested ordinance or whatever they were voting on, I can't remember exactly how the, what they call that up there, Jason, but even though it was voted down, I can tell you a lot of people that are investing money you know, you, get, you just go out and drill a well. You take leases, and you don't take this one lease. You take dozens of leases covering, you know, thousands of acres because you don't want to drill one well and end up, you know, getting a good well and having all your competitors walk in. But before you tie up the capital, you want to make sure that your um, business environment is either good or at least fair. And it's tough to say, you know, at least this is what my Colorado buddies tell me, it's tough to say that the environment in Colorado, and this is just one example, New Mexico, you could probably say the same thing here. It's tough to say they have a good business environment for oil and gas when, like I say, you have a half dozen um, petitions essentially to, you know, to put on the ballot that you know, will shut down the industry or tax the industry or restrict the industry. And what you're doing, I mean, you may... You're just making things, you know, more expensive. Not that there aren't certain things that need to be addressed. And you mentioned earlier, like flaring. Uh, Colorado, flaring is not a huge issue in Colorado or New Mexico. It is an issue in Texas, the issue in North Dakota. But, um, but you know, looking at all this, and, and the other interesting thing, and I point this out to um, my students that take energy law, is, you know, in the United States, we have sort of a unique system, and we were founded on the principle that when you have private property, you have private rights that are protected to a large extent from the government. If you have um, you have a you have title to both the surface and the minerals from the center of the earth to the skies, you can inherit it, you can sell it, you can convey it, um, you can do whatever you want with the property. You know, subject to the regulatory powers, and the the state can regulate, but they can't take your property. They can't come in and say, "Hey, you know, move out. We're going to make a new parking lot for the school, or or build a new school." They can they can tell you that, but they have to pay you for it. And, um, and that's one of the problems you have with some of these 
uh, initiatives is they're, you know, they're really sort of taking your rights or some of your rights. And, you know, I don't see the state of Colorado saying, yeah, we're not going to allow drilling, but we'd be happy to spend the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to compensate everybody for the lost lease bonuses they won't get or the lost oil royalties that they won't get or the lost jobs that you won't have. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it, there's some real interesting... What am I missing here? Well, I mean, what, what what am I missing? I try to, you know, try, I, I really try to see the other side as much as I can. I try to empathize with the other side as much as I can. And if I even can, I'll sympathize with the other side. That doesn't mean I'm going to side with them, but I'll definitely have uh, an open mind, etc. Now, what I don't get here is when it comes to the ban on energy and what they're trying to do, I, I don't understand how they don't understand, how they don't see it would be just a complete disruption of their day-to-day lifestyle. When, when people say we'd be, we'd be thrown back to the Stone Ages, that is more accurate than people would want to admit. And that, that, is, that is true, that 96% of the things that we use on a day-to-day basis are made with petroleum products. That's, that's just a fact of life. So if we ban the industry, we get throw. okay, I get that. They, they, they don't see the, the, the amount of taxes that are drawn to it as well. Okay, and when it comes to the science, when it comes to the the exponentiality of the way processors and the speed happens and Moore's law, etc., it doesn't happen in energy that way. It happens in computers that way and in certain things, but it it doesn't happen in other things like energy. I mean, so um, where I'm coming from in all of this, I guess, is... Where I where I see their strategy winning, and I do think they're winning. Where I see their strategy winning is because the energy industry, oil and gas, in my opinion, hasn't figured out that this is a public health debate. They're still coming at it from an energy standpoint, and they're coming at it with science. And this is now a public health debate. And when I look at the amount of science coming out of Colorado, it's all based on air quality. I mean, not all, but a lot is based on air quality and noise pollution and et cetera. Um, have you thought about that, about how this is almost almost seems like it, it is a public health debate now? Boy, that's a, that's a real good point. You're, you, you're actually the first person I've heard to talk about it that way, and it does make a lot of sense. And I guess even the climate change activists, when you take a look at the headlines, the way that the headlines have been framed in the last six months, right. it, it is, I mean, you know me, I've, I've been on this for five years, and to me, this has been, been on the smoking ban template, the whole deal, and that's exactly what the smoking ban was, was a public health debate. And, and that's what I, I, I've just, I've noticed that in the last six months, they flip right around when Greta came around, is when, when, when Greta Thunberg came around, it's like, they almost switched the language and the conversation to a public health debate. So anyway, um, yeah, just your thoughts on that. Well, that's, that's a good point. I really hadn't thought about it. I do know historically, obviously, there's been a lot of arguments with regard to air pollution and ozone and particulate matters and the contributions of the um, oil sector to that. And actually, when you say that, it really hasn't been highlighted as a public health debate, but I know 
you know, whenever you're around any petroleum uh, vapors, I mean, they all you all have benzene, you have xylene, you have ethyl benzene, um, stuff that's not good for you. And you know, whether whether you're pumping it into your gas tank or whether you're, you know, you're you're pumping it into a tank at the at the well location, uh, you know, that is that is a public health impact. Now, now, how great it is, you know, Lord knows. I think it's pretty minor in the scheme of things as far as what we're exposed to that are potentially hazardous but um but it's been and i will agree with you also that i think i think oil and gas is losing the uh, and it's bothersome to me and i'm not quite sure i'm not quite sure jason the you know if i had a game plan i mean i i'd make a terrible coach because i'm not quite sure what type of play i call and whether i you know use offense or defense or both or punt the ball or go for the 50-yard field goal I just don't know because it, it's troubling to me because I realize, having studied all this, how important energy is to economic growth, how important it is to the United States economically, to mineral owners, to individual owners, to. Um, oh, and it's a tough message to to even get across to the industry because they're used to dealing with politicians who understand spreadsheets and economic growth and community building, et cetera. And now these very same politicians are working against them because of the public health debate. And where they're, they're, I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them are. And that's kind of what's, they're using emotion, whereas the industry is still kind of going with fact. And that is a, boy, I... If if you can figure out how to how to sell fact over emotion, you're going to make you know a million bucks because emotion over facts been going around since the dawn of man. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. You know, and it's, it's, yeah, you get people act on emotions than it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is, and you know, and and they're using like fear, a lot of fear based uh, emotion, and that's that's where I you know me, I get I get really upset when you use kids. And, and pander your way to profit with with uh, fear and that sort of thing and but that's kind of what's that, that's that's in vogue right now and that's what's happening uh, I, I do w- want to ask you a little bit about your thoughts when it comes to flaring and natural gas because that's the next step if you know right now they're using like cancer studies linking to oil and gas and the sites and all that different stuff so They've got a gr- they've got a pretty good um, arsenal coming with round one, but round two they kind of put flaring as you know kind of in, on the back burner a little bit for for their uh, arsenal to come at. But states on the other hand, and oil and gas companies they're still looking at that as hey we got to take care of this. Uh, oil and gas companies they want to profit on it. Mineral owners want to profit on it. Uh, the marketplace wants to get, you know, whether it's CNG, LNG, or some kind of plastic uh, to, to, or energy with natural gas to, to the market. So uh, wh- where are you at when it comes to natural gas and flaring? I know you've attended a lot of conferences lately, and you've been checking out a lot of different innovation uh, when it comes to the flaring side of things. Uh, talk to me about your flaring experiences. Well, actually, the, uh, if you look at the amount of, of- gas that's being flared it's pretty substantial in texas especially in the north dakota and so one of my cohorts uh, jim james coleman is professor at smu wrote a recent editorial and he's he's sort of proposing that maybe we ought to 
look at, uh, you know, back in the old days, we used to have proration for oil because we had too much oil and we limit everybody's production. Maybe we ought to do something similar for natural gas. That sounds pretty complicated to me. And um, then, of course, I talked to him a little bit and said, gee, you know, you'll love this, Jason. It's, uh, I said, well, maybe we want a, anything yet. You, you flare your tax. We'll just tax it at $2 an MCF. And, of course, he went nuts. He, he's a sort of a free market guy, and I am too. But I, I just sort of pulled his leg. And, I about had a heart attack when and, you said that. Yeah, just yeah. just joking there. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem is, the problem is, is, you know, well, part of the problem is, number one, um, you know, you put a tax on it, and you know, then people aren't going to even care whether it's leaking out the, you know, the back 40 pipeline, uh, number one. And number two, once you put a tax on it, it'll never get taken off, uh, even though you build out the pipelines. Because really what we want to do is build out pipelines. And they're, what is happening now is a lot of pipeline companies, you're built, you've seen the oil lines being built out because they can get you know, volumes committed and they're from companies that are economically viable. But uh, for natural gas, when you're selling, I haven't looked at it today, but it was you know $2.15 or somewhere around, around like that. It's difficult to get companies to commit to you know certain volumes of gas over time. So if you're a pipeline company, you don't want to spend you know, a couple hundred million dollars on a gas pipeline when you're not sure you know it's going to be economically viable. And on top of that, in the Permian, and I don't know if this is true in the Bakken or not, but in the Permian, there's some companies that are just giving their gas away. There's some companies that are actually paying to have the gas taken away. Um, and then the other alternative is, is flaring. And, of course, the other alternative is shutting in your well. But if you shut in your oil well because of the natural gas, you know, then you have questions with regard to drainage. You have questions with regard to, you know, from what I understand, once you frack the well, um, if you shut it in, the, the cracks start to heal, the fractures. And so as they start to heal, it means that when you turn it on, you know, instead of getting 1,000 barrels, you're only going to get you know, 875. So your economics sort of gets screwed up. So, um, yeah, to me, I know, and I know, I can tell you, I've talked to the Texas regulators that, I mean, at the very top of the Railroad Commission. I've talked to some of the top regulators in North Dakota, and they all say, they said, Joe, you know, well, they said, number one, they said, you know, they have a huge concern about it. And there's been a lot of new natural gas liquid facilities put online or coming online that have helped, but they you know, haven't helped enough. And the regulators also told me just, you know, over a beer, I said, you know, industry would do well if they would just shut this, you know, stuff in however they have to do it, because from a regular regulator standpoint, from a public optics standpoint, as you just noted, you know, people would say, hey, look, you know, there's the cancer flare that, you know, of the, or that's school children's money from, you know, state minerals that we're flaring that um, in Texas, it's about $1.8 million a day of royalties, you know, to state lands that are being flared. That's, you know, two, two million a day. That pays for a few teachers, uh, including now that I'm Texas, I include, you know, including me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that, that's that's beside the point. But uh, anyway, that's, as you know, as an industry and as a regulators in the industry, we have to be more and more concerned about our image because, well, and, and maybe rightfully so. I mean, but I think everything is cyclical, and I think the the ball has gone a little bit too far 
um, in one direction, anti-oil versus, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, maybe it was a little bit too pro-oil and, you know, less concerned about the environment and people's property rights. But it's a, it's a fascinating trade-off between government regulation and private rights development and, you know, the right you have if you, you know, have natural gas to, to flare it at, at will under your lease or under your minerals. So, um, but I do think it will be it, actually the railroad commissioner uh, slot that's open uh, in November. It will be this will be a very very hot issue between you know the Texas the, Railroad Commission. Yeah, the Texas Railroad Commission. It'll be a very hot issue for whoever you know gets the final slots to run for that. So, well, our slogan in 2020 is "Ready for anything" because <laughs> it's oh, it is. It, I mean, you have to be ready for anything. It's they're they're using kids in order to usher in um, regulations and 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 narratives and um, you know with Trump you never know what's going to happen there and so it's just it's it's ready for anything and who knows how how things are going to you know you got layoffs happening you got automation being ushered in so um, people who are getting jobs, they're going from $100,000 jobs down to $40,000 a year jobs. So they're trying to adjust there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, seeing, I'm telling you, man, ready for anything in 2020. And um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, along those same lines, ready for anything. We might, there might be more protests coming up in the next year. I'm seeing a lot more stories on that. That of course, when people aren't working, they're gonna they're gonna go protest. They need to feel like they're they're useful. North Dakota is familiar with their protests, with the Keystone XL protest. In fact, I was talking to someone recently where they said that kind of springboarded other states' protests. And so pipelines, when you look at the history of pipelines, uh, they were being put in no problem all the time until the Keystone one. Now you got natural gas pipelines being protested and things like that. So uh, the pipelines are very important. So my question is, with the protesters, the election year, with, you know, ready for anything, the natural gas industry, what they're keeping their eye on is the pipelines, Corpus Christi, and Lake Charles. Because if they can get those done, then you can open up into Mexico. You can you can tap into the overseas. You got Trump signing the China deal, so they're they're waiting for some LNG products. Um, that, that's how I kind of look at at the natural gas. That, you know, if it's almost like if they in just another year and it's just going to explode. From my standpoint, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, we have so much gas in the Permian there in New Mexico, and yeah, that will those will open up. You know, some outlets actually will help a lot, I think, but you got to keep a be aware too that you know, gee, we have so much natural gas back in Ohio and Pennsylvania and West Virginia, and those pipelines up there, you know, they're they're in Quagmire City, you know, from what I've heard with regard to protests, with regard to permitting, um, they're building out, and I really haven't, I really haven't kept track as closely as I should up there, but just talking to people that are involved up in drilling up there, they just say it's still a mess trying to get, you know, number one, there's a lot of gas there um, that's easy to get to. The problem is, you know, you're gathering in transportation system, your pipelines, which, you know, just like the Permian now are, are falling a bit short. And so the, again, your economics are really, uh, 
are really tilted toward oil. And I actually told my class last week that I, you know, one of the things when you drill, if you look at the number of drilling rigs that are active, which were down 24% year over year, but almost 95% of them, Jason, they're all they're all drilling for oil. And because that's where the economics are, you can market the oil, even if, even if you have to truck it off your site. If you get a gas well in the pipeline and gathering system, you can't get it hooked up, you know, it could be a year, two, three years before you start getting any revenue. And that is, that is not something you want to see. Joe Dancy with us, our energy educator and expert, talking about all things energy. We go all over the gamut from oil and gas to flaring to social media. Oh, we haven't talked social media yet. Oh, yeah, we teased about that. We got to get right to that. I was going to ask you about something else, but we'll talk about that later. Social media. Now, I, I don't want to get too much into this because we're already over a half hour here, but that's quite okay because uh, it's podcast world. We can do whatever we want. Um, the social media side of things, you know, there's there's been layoffs and there's been some downturn tickings, etc. Not everybody, you know, there's still, still a lot of activity. North Dakota's still putting a million barrels. Texas is putting their, theirs out, you know. I mean, things are still happening. But I'm starting to see some posts on social media where this company isn't paying this guy and this contract is being broken and this company is a snake oil salesman here. And um, I myself, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a few companies behind on some receivables, but I, I understand what's going on. So I'm not doing anything either or mentioning anything. Um what do you make about that? Uh, you being involved with the, the legal world that you are, um, there's some activity on these social media sites arguing whether it's slander or not. And I, I kind of bet I just get a kick out of it. But uh, I, I'm sure you've seen this or, or have heard of it or it's not. I'm not the first one to bring it up. I know that. But it is a new area. It's, it's a gray area. And I uh, just want to get your comments on that. Yeah, actually, as the industry slows down, you and I have been, we've been around long enough to know, you know, historically, of course, we didn't have social media, but historically, when things slow down, whether you're taking leases or paying for land work or curative or drilling, you know, everybody starts to slow pay. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't get everything paid in two weeks. It takes, you know, a month or two months or, and actually, there's some companies, and I won't name companies, but, um, that are relatively large size. I mean, they they historically have made sort of a, a policy that uh, when things slow down, you know, you'll get paid, but it'll be three months from now or longer. And uh, but you didn't have the social media aspect. And of course, you and I are connected to so many people in the energy sector. But I mean, if we were in the auto sector, um, I, that might not be a good example. I think autos are slowing too. But if we were in the pharmacy sector, for example, or medical we probably wouldn't see some of these posts that are, you know, complaining. And I, I, I do know, I mean, the basic rule with regard to slander and libel and defamation is, you know, truth is always an absolute defense. And so if I owe you $5,000 and haven't paid and you post something out there that, you know, got one of my guests, Dancy, you know, owes me 5000 bucks and he hasn't, and I guess, let me make it real clear, I don't, I don't pay you for these interviews. <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I should, Jason, but just for the listeners, if I did owe Jason 5000 if I owed you $5,000 and you posted and I got mad and threatened to sue and 
contacted LinkedIn and told them or, or Facebook, uh, the, the, you could absolutely, you know, if I went forward with any type of action, you could just, you know, go to court and say, judge, you know, here's the, you know, here's what the services and here's the agreement. And, um, that one of the problems you have in that is, is, I mean, I may dispute the agreement and I, and I guess this, I've heard this before and I'm in with lease brokers where, you know, people will, well, gee, yeah, we, you know, they owe me like day, you know, weeks worth of day rate. And, and of course the company's defense is, well, we told you we needed it by Tuesday and you gave it to us on Friday. So it was worthless. So we really don't owe you anything. So that's, so that gets to be a, a, a problem too. And I have seen a, one of my good uh, professor buddies uh, uh, told me, you know, gee, in some of these small cases where and I, every state is different on limitations, but they have what are called small claims court, where essentially you just file yourself. You don't need a lawyer. You go claim, and I I think it's up four or five thousand dollars, maybe more. But it's um, I know I had a good friend who actually this is sort of relevant. He is he was driving his little car and you know, a a truck that was hauling gravel to a well site. Essentially, one of the big rocks fell off and broke his windshield and. You know, he stopped the driver, and the driver said, "I'll go jump in the lake." So he filed a small claims, and they went and argued, and the judge awarded him, you know, a couple hundred dollars to replace his his windshield based on the fact the rock fell off, and he took a picture of the truck and the company and the license plate number of the truck, and um, so. But if you have a contract, and you, and, and again, um, you know, apparently it's fairly simple to do, and I have a number of friends that have. Well, actually, when I was back in private practice, practicing law, you know, they come to me and they go, gee, we, you know, we have a dispute over $500 and we want to hire you. And I was like, dude, you don't really want to hire me because by the time I write everything up, get it filed, you pay all the fees, we go argue about it all. You know, you're, you, you're going to pay me more money than it's worth. So why don't you just take everything? I'll help you to the extent I can file a small claims, uh, um, and, and, and most of them, it, even when that sometimes the judge will take the cake and he'll see there's an argument or she'll see there's an argument, but she'll also see that, gee, you know, maybe they owed the money, but maybe the product, you know, was somewhat late or defective. And, you know, we'll cut the cake and say, well, gee, you know, you, you owe $500, but based on the fact that it was late or the product isn't quite what they expected, you know, we're only going to give you a judgment for 300 and so everybody sort of walks away either half happy or half half <laughs> upset but uh in any event it's that is an option to do that but i do know uh, on a number of social media sites like facebook and um and linkedin i assume twitter also if there's any anybody post anything real negative well number one if it's on your post you can actually delete it and every once in a while it the last, in the last year, I think I've only had to delete a couple posts, one of which started <laughs> – you'll appreciate this. They really weren't rambling. They weren't ups, They were upset. I don't know if they were upset with me, but they were really upset with the institution that I was teaching at and went on to talk about what a bunch of incompetent, you know, nimcompoops these people are at this university. And I looked at it and said, you know, we, I really can't – I can't – well – they weren't attacking me, but it, and I don't know if it was liable or not. I mean, if, it, if 
the truth again truth is the is the uh, Sony I deleted it and, and I yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I put that out there I was it was late at <laughs> night I was I wasn't sure what I was doing I think I mixed up my medication no, I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> well you know from North Dakota you guys you know you can pick on everybody so that's that's good but uh, anyway uh, it it, uh, it, was, no. it was interesting but but I, I I do get where they're coming from though, um, because I I want to believe that they posted it to to let their colleagues know, hey, you know, if you've got bills to pay and you've got this and you you're relying on this, these these are the names of the companies that aren't doing this. Um, but I could see where the average person, and I'd probably be in the average person, would say that's just kind of tacky. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of the same way. It is. It is. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, it is sort of like a, you know, you're going down the highway and someone, you know, slams on the brakes, and you know, it, it. You are in the, you know, if you're relying on a stream of revenue to pay your overhead and pay your office and, you know, it's um and pay your employees, you know, the fact that you have some slow pays. I mean, it really does sort of, you know, causes a huge sort of traffic jam, so to speak, which is, you know, it, it, number one, it's annoying, and number two, it actually can be, you know, I guess to take the analogy, it's sort of dangerous to your financial health, just like, a, uh, uh, you know, a, slamming on the brakes on a snowy highway would be. But uh, in any event, it, I have seen that. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's, it's something I haven't seen in the last five or ten years, hardly at all. And oh no, it, it's taboo. I mean, it's it's kind of taboo. That, that that's why I bring it up because these are you know the the not only is the industry changing, but the perception of the industry is changing. So the crude life's taken on conversations that the industry's really never had before. Because uh-huh. you know, well, blockchain's going to change a lot of this. You know, when it comes to contracts and, and, and this type of stuff. And then there's right. gonna there's gonna be new industry standards set in with social media. Um, in terms of, hey, who knows, maybe this might be the thing that people want. I, I don't think so. I think it'll probably lose out, but um it sure got people's attention. You and I both noticed uh several posts. You know what I mean? Right. So it's right. the industry's changing. The industry's changing. So I mean it's um yeah, like, like I said, man, be ready for anything in 2020. <laughs> well, I mean, part of the problem is, I mean, I totally understand too, Jason. I mean, the industry being what it is, it's so cyclical that, you know, I can understand easily companies or individuals becoming extended to the extent that, you know, they can't cut the check today. But on the other hand, you know, way, the way you handle that, diplomatically is you just tell us like look dude you know we've lost 75 percent of our business because they're not leasing up here um in the scoop and stack anymore for example and we will pay you but you're just going to have to be patient because you know we we yeah we just don't have the money in the and at least that way people are reassured although historically like i say going back you know, a number of years, you know, generally the companies don't reassure you. They just sort of just, they won't answer your phone calls. They won't answer your letters. You know, and you're just wondering, am I going to get paid? Am I not going going to get paid? Are they just screwing me around because they think they can take advantage of me and I'll teach them. I could see people say, hey, I'll teach them. I'll post it on 
on uh, social media that they're not paying their bills, which, again, as you know, I mean, even if it's even if there's no legal issues involved with it or, or you're not breaking any of the um, the uh, social media standards or ethics or whatever they um, you're supposed to sign off on, uh, it is sort of tacky. <laughs> it, it is, but, it, but it is, I got it. I just like you, I read it. It's like, man, I don't, most of these people I don't know. So it's, I'm not really familiar with them or the companies, but it's like, man, I'm glad my name's not in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, when I see that, I generally think of like a almost like a lovers' quarrel, like when when a boyfriend and a girlfriend break up or somebody gets divorced and how they handle it on social media. Um, some of them go right at the other person and start, you know, <laughs> start listing their indiscretions and shortcomings right on their facebook page and things like that and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that and i think a lot of people are in that same boat and but again at the same time i think a lot of people can sympathize and even empathize to a certain degree that okay well you know that's kind of a i looked at it as just another sign that um you know there's there's some some tightening of the belts going on once again in the industry. And there's no secret. I mean, we've had a lot of layoffs and, you know, there's been a lot of news stories. I think the Dallas Fed came out and even gave out a warning last quarter. So, I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't new news. This isn't optimism talk. And I know how a lot of people in the industry, they don't like it if you don't do optimism talk. So, um, anyway, I just, it, interesting topic, that's for sure. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about another topic, uh, so we'll put that one to bed because we want to wrap up here. But uh, bat lives matter, wind energy, and the issue with bats. You mentioned that that came up in a paper that you guys were studying because you know me. I I'm in. I, I will protect the bats and I will protect the desert tortoise and 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 all the animals and things along those lines because you know hey they 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 they, they need someone to protect them too. Um, but at the same time, Hey, <laughs> we gotta, we, we gotta live our lives too. But, uh, did, did you, did you mention that to me? A bat thing? Yeah, I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned there, there's actually, I'm using a new case book now that I'm, uh, teaching energy law. The last couple years I've got used in, in the, it'll be actually, this is a case we're going to have later this week where, um, <laughs> there was a wind turbine company that apparently their wind turbines were killing a bunch of bats. And so some environmentalist organization files a lawsuit and they claim, you know, there's a big, there's a big um, dispute uh, between there's legislation promoting wind energy. There's also legislation protecting uh, some bat species. And apparently, and I didn't just reading the, reading the case that's in the book and they cut a lot of out apparently these wind turbines, they just don't kill one bat. They kill, like, bunches of them. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a bat expert, but... But a million a year in the U.S. So the, it's interesting that the the court had to come. The court was like, what are we going to do? You know, because we have these two contradictory um, statutes and policies, one to promote wind energy, one to protect the bat. And so what they did is they issued a um, temporary injunction, which just says... You need to shut down the wind turbine until, you know, we can take testimony and determine whether to let this thing continue to operate or not. I don't, you know, if you're killing, I mean, I just can't see that they would, 
how you can let, you know, under the legislation that's protecting these bats, if you know they're being killed, I don't know how, you know, I would expect the wind turbine will be shut down or somehow. Well, okay, here's animated, but that's just my guess. But that, it was it, it's an interesting case. The fact that you brought it up on LinkedIn or somewhere, I thought was very interesting because it is a it's an issue that. Well, here's why it's an issue. Um, they don't the, the the government doesn't care if you kill birds, so they don't including eagles. It's bats they care about because bats have a lot to do with agriculture. Bats are very responsible for pollinating and protecting or keeping the insect population at bay. And so there's, if you go through court cases, the reason that wind turbines have to care about bats, but not birds, it has to do with agriculture. And so there's an actual dollar amount in every county in the United States, you can have a dollar amount on what the impact or the economic impact is of bats. So I, I guarantee you that's why. Well, that's fascinating. I, I just, uh, I thought it was, I have seen cases, I will say, um, dealing with wind turbines, dealing with noise pollution where- That's a thing. Tell, and I haven't been, I haven't been around. I've actually gotten out and when I was in Iowa to try to, and I, it seemed to be pretty quiet to me, but apparently, depending on the type of wind turbine you have and the wind and everything else, apparently so, those things get pretty darn noisy. Well, they, not only get, they get noisy, but uh, the the noise pollution actually is is a low frequency that we don't hear is the actual noise pollution where the problem comes, and it has to do with the low frequency. So. In, in the same way that a dog whistle, the humans can't hear it, and dogs can, uh, the low frequency, we can't hear it, but other things can, and actually it can cause uh, damage because the frequency is so low that it can, it can I don't know, now you're getting into quantum physics with vibrations, and uh, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes I kind of, I lose track when I have the guests on because I'm like, okay, these guys are getting way too smart here, and I'm losing track, so... Um, you know, my, my notes can't go so fast, but, but the, the short answer is, is that the noise pollution, the main part of it, honestly, has to do with the low frequency part of it. And so they're trying to figure out the health implications behind that. But again, if you don't see it and you don't hear it, it doesn't, you know, it's no big deal. No big deal. (laughs) Well, that's why they had to, isn't that true about um, natural gas? They, they put that sulfur smell in there. So, you know. Yep, yeah, exactly when it leaks. Yeah, otherwise no one would pay attention to it, and they just you know light up their stogie or you know or whatever they're doing now. Or I don't I don't even know if people smoke anymore because um, they're they got to do it in back alleys like modern day lepers. Um, <laughs> it is. Oh yeah, I mean that's it's kind of the, at least up in this part of the country and in California and other places. But well, let's see what's going on in your world. I'll give you the kind of last word, the last thought here as I look at the clock and we're nearing 60 minutes. So uh, any any conferences that you're attending that you've seen, just kind of take the floor here a little bit and uh, uh, give yourself a plug in what you're going to be doing. No, geez, it's, it's pretty, I've uh, been really pretty busy. I've been up uh, upper Michigan looking at solar installations again and it's sort of interesting to see how the snow impacts that up there and taking a look and actually we're i'm talking to a university up there about setting up an energy center because just you know almost all the stuff that we've talked about today jason has huge policy implications and you know there i think there's an opportunity for a 
unbiased group of experts to take a look at everything from wind turbines to solar to the electric grid to pumped mine storage of, of uh, um, power uh, and take a look and actually put together some really good research that uh, would be viable and it's not some type of um, you know global climate alarmist type of you know we need to shut everything down type of uh, attitude but so I'm going to be working on that. We're going to, there'll be a big announcement in February, and it'll be curious. I'll still be working here at Texas A&M and at, in here in Fort Worth and uh, also at SMU in Dallas where I'm teaching energy law. And we have a, the new online program for uh, get a master's in energy law from Texas A&M. That's what they hired me for. They said, hey, it's pretty funny. The, uh, they, they, they knew I was in Dallas, and they knew I came back from Oklahoma on uh, they said the first thing they saw when I came back is like the dean said, "Hey, give this guy a call. We want him teaching over here online." So it's uh, so it's sort of exciting. To, exciting, although as you know, with the industry slowing, um, it's not as fun as it. It's never as fun when things are going slower, and you're worried about paying your bills as when you know you're accelerating and drilling rig counts are up and people are inviting you to parties because they're expanding their office and calling and, you know, gee, you know any landman? We want to hire three of them. And it's like, I haven't heard that conversation now in, a, in about six or nine months. So it's, uh, and, but, but it's coming. It's all cyclical, as you know. I like to remind people about the story of Wrigley gum, which was, there was a time, I think it was World War II, the government banned chewing gum for whatever reason. They needed the material or the workers, but Wrigley advertised and they were the only company that advertised you couldn't even buy gum and Wrigley kept advertising and then when the gum came back on the market I think they got 85% of the market share right out of the gate because everybody assumed the other companies went out of business and Wrigley just kept so the thing about the downturn is is you got if, if you can somehow stay relevant and and keep yourself out there you'll 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 get you know you'll get rewarded once once things come back around. So uh, also you mentioned uh, about the independent research and that sort of thing. That was, that was one of the issues I started clamoring about about five years ago, which was the one thing that the, the climate industry seems to have when it comes to their science is they don't do verified data like the way that drug companies were forced to do and you know other companies at least somewhat of an independent research on data a lot of the climate research was never third party validated and and that sort of thing and the dead a lot of the data is not open to the public that are funded by uh tax dollar grants and things like that so there's it seems like there's you know a lot of politics when it comes to verified data so uh it's interesting that you talked about you know independent verification of data or or you know research that sort of thing well, it's really important because it is interesting. One of the concerns I have is that you listen to different opinions on, say, climate change and renewables, and you know, are they trying to sell you solar cells, or do they really believe this is you know the way to go for the electric grid or whatever? And you you really don't know. And and you know the studies that they use. You know, if I give you a grant for a million dollars to study climate change and i want you to tell me we have climate change issues and we have to make 
I guarantee you, you will do whatever you can do to come to that conclusion to keep me happy so you get another grant. That's sort of where we, sort of where the academic and the research area has gone, in my opinion, although that's just my opinion. But I think a third party, you know, more neutral eyes on the, and especially utilizing some engineering professors that are very well versed, um, as well as policy professors. Well, I think we can, I think we can put a good, a really good team together. And it's, uh, so far, I think it's, I'm excited, although we haven't kicked off the ball yet. You just really brought up an excellent point, which I've never heard it really put together in that way. You know, you can always put together a puzzle, but it looks different each time. So, um, what you said was, okay, when it comes to a lot of these different renewables, and what I wrote down after that was, you don't know whether they're coming at you because it's good for the grid or whether they want to sell solar cells or if they're trying to keep the grant money. So it's really a three-headed approach. I mean, you, you said two, but you actually named three. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Well, because that, that is true. A lot of times they're just trying to keep their grant money. Yep. So you, you, you don't know if it's good for the grid or whether they're trying to keep their grant money or whether they're just trying to sell you a solar cell because it's a public-private partnership. Yeah, exactly. Huh. It, it, or they're an in, in installer. It's a, it is interesting, Jay, to throw on that story. They had a, um, down here in Cedar Hill, Texas, they had a... Uh, at City Hall, they had a solar uh, weekend, and I went down and listened to some solar installers talk about, you know, why you should put solar on your house. And, you know, according to them, if you put a solar system on your house, the value will immediately go up 20%. And then I talked to a realtor in the same area, and she told me, you put a solar system on your house, and the value will go down at least 10 to 15% because people don't want to deal with you know, a bunch of wires sticking on a roof that you have to hook up to the electric system. And, a, and it's sort of interesting. So you got, you know, the people that install it are sort of talking there. Oh, yeah, this is great. It's going to increase the value. And the realtors are saying, you know, Dancy, don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Even for educational purposes, you're going to lose your shirt. So, um, and and they both, you know, appear to believe what they're saying. So it's, uh, um, again, you're talking, yeah, you're talking, your interest versus um yeah versus uh what is reality possibly so all right one last question um on linkedin you've got or on either linkedin or facebook you've got twenty five thousand followers don't you i got thirty seven thousand oh. uh actually I'm, I'm limited out pretty much at uh i got more followers but i can't have any more connections and yeah this all started about five years ago a, a number of my ex-students started sending me reports that I put the link to say, gee, here's a report from, I won't mention, but they're pretty, a lot of them are in the financial business or energy business. And so and I didn't realize how popular they got. And then I started putting up a little history write-ups because it's part of my, it's all in my classes. So it's like, well, gee, on today, you know, today we had, you know, the Cardwell blew out and Ohio about 90 years ago and it started the big Finley, Ohio, you know, and, and people just, uh, they really enjoy it and they, and they get a lot of feedback because well, even in North Dakota, when the first, I can't remember when they drilled the first well up there, but I post it and you'd be surprised that people that, gee, my grandfather worked there or, you know, God, I grew up in that town. And I knew exactly where it's at or, 
or gee, Standard Oil came in and bought everybody out. We all got rich, or my, you know, my parents did. And and so you get a lot of contacts, and people send you private messages with, you know, sort of more private type of uh, reminiscence of what uh, goes on. And to me, it's fantastic because then I can go out and when I'm speaking to different groups or speaking to my students, I can tell them, you know, these stories that. I assume are true, and I can sort—I sort of follow them up to make sure you know, they have some grain of truth to them, and say, "Geez, you know, this is what happened, and this is on this day, and this you know, illustrates the rule of capture." And by the way, you know, some people in the area told me, you know, in addition, this is what happened that that adds even more color, and and uh, it makes it more relevant. And I, I know my classes, my classes. Well, the reason I teach at all these different institutions is the students. Just—I mean, my classes end up starting with 10 students and then two years later i have 70. so because the students think it's interesting and i present it in a relevant way and they they look at it too jason as you know it's like well gee maybe i can make a career out of the energy sector or renewable sector or the environmental whatever they want to do they they think the topics that i'm talking about are interesting and they're relevant and they are because it's energy is you can't get more relevant than energy um, and that's why it's exciting what you're doing. That's what, why it's exciting what I'm doing. Excellent, because we're going to be starting the 25K Club here very shortly. It's the, well, just on the crude life we are, the 25K Club. It's 25, you know, we'll have a weekly segment where we talk to somebody who's got 25,000 followers or friends or whatever because, I don't know, apparently that means you're an influencer in today's day and age, I'm told. I mean, I've got... Let's see, about 27,000 plus the crude life. So, you know, because, you know, the two different sites. And then over on the Facebook side, I'm close to 200,000 with our different sites. And, uh, and then you throw in the YouTubes and you throw in a few others, you know. And the thing is, each one is, is different, you know. Like um, LinkedIn is not the same as Facebook, for example. So you, you have to approach them almost differently. But... Uh, I was very much like you. I, I, I actually only, only went on Facebook, I think, a year, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Right. And I just started posting my interviews. And same thing. People were sending me messages and following me. And and then about, it was actually last year I realized I better get one for the crude life. And so I just started one for the crude life. And um, and going, oh, you know, you got to start from the beginning again. But it it. You've been told by people the value of uh, 25000 plus when it comes to social media, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Actually, it's worth a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Connections. And actually, if you bought that advertising for your for your demographics, it's real positive. I'm excited. I, I'm, I guarantee you I will listen. Anybody who has 25000 actually anybody who has like over 15000 connections, they're probably a pretty interesting person. Now, you might not agree with what, you know, what they're saying, but the fact that they have that many, they have some credibility, and they're probably going to, to deliver a message that's going to have some interest. I would, um, I would, you know, I don't know if you have sponsors for that, but I would, I would think you should be able to get a, yeah, some sponsors for, um, yeah, that, that. All right. So how can, uh, what's your LinkedIn and uh, social media if people want to reach out? Uh just to just search me on just search me on LinkedIn and that's uh that'll get uh that'll get me and I I'll be happy to I'll be happy to interact put it that way <laughs>
listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. That's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. I'd like to thank Joe Dancy, energy educator and expert, for joining today's program, as well as our sponsor, Royal Creek Consulting. Royal Creek Consulting services the oil and gas industry and provides business development services for service and supply companies. They are currently working in the following states, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. That's Royal Creek Consulting. For more information, go to royalcreekconsulting.com. We would also like to thank Dan Haley, president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. He'll be on in just a moment or two to end the program. And our Bakken barbecue phone lines as we sit in our Hatch Coaching Studio. Once again, Provolone, thank you very much for your services and your efforts today. It was a good day for you. Tomorrow, I think you're going to be ready to talk. I think we're ready to take the tape off your mouth. And I think you're ready to join the program orally. All right. Good job today, Provolone. From Provolone and the staff at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Dan Haley, president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Dan Haley with the Colorado Oil and Gas Association right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Uh, We need to go back to uh, 2018. I think that's when you really see uh, the beginning of this. Well, it actually goes back a few years before that, but... Activists from a group called Colorado Rising uh, were able to get a measure on the 2018 ballot called Proposition 112 uh, at that time, and it would have been an effective ban on oil and, on the oil and gas industry in Colorado, and would have shredded private property rights for anybody that owns minerals here in Colorado. Unfortunately, uh, Coloradans saw through uh, that charade and saw what they were trying to do, and that is ban this industry that's been around in this state for more than 100 years. And so Coloradans rejected that measure by 10 points uh, in 2018. The Colorado Blueprint was another thing that I've heard mentioned a few times. Apparently there's a book on it by the governor who came out afterwards. He's pretty anti-fossil fuels, pretty anti-oil and gas to the tune to where something called the Colorado Blueprint. Is this familiar with, are you familiar with this or am I making things up? Yeah. (laughs) 
actually came out more than 10 years ago. I would say probably in 2008. The governor was one of four millionaires in Colorado that formed uh, something uh, called the Colorado Democracy Alliance. And it was a group to uh, privately fund the Democratic takeover of the Colorado legislature in 2004 and 2006. That was back uh, before he was a congressman and was on the State Board of Education, but was obviously involved in in state politics. So that blueprint uh, book, the Colorado Blueprint, came out in 2008, and that infrastructure has largely still still exists here in Colorado and is funded by others at this time, not by, I don't believe that the governor funds that anymore, but uh, he certainly was a, a, a part of that at the very beginning. And so uh, during the 2018 campaign, that's when he ran for governor of Colorado. He had been in Congress for about 10 years at that time. And that was Dan Haley, president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We'd like to invite you to check out our social media pages, from the Facebooks to the YouTubes, even the LinkedIns. All that is available at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media page. We've got a half a dozen or so pages that you can like, follow, share. We'd appreciate it very much, and thank you for making The Crude Life part of your daily content. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.